0: You are now listening to the Double Say Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Justin Nicosia. And you heard that right. We're back with the Double Say Sports Podcast. My name is Justin Nicosia, and Nick Pellegrini is my co host once again today. Today, we're going to be doing a MLB for about a third of the way of the season. We're going to be doing an overview of how the season's gone so far. Apologize for us not having any podcasts recently. I've been pretty busy with work, getting ready for school, and just I was on vacation last week, but we're back with some podcasts, and today we'll be just discussing our first impressions on the season so far for the MLB. We'll also discuss some of our surprising players, for better or for worse, and then we'll wrap things up by talking about the most surprising teams of the first third of the year since every team's played around 20 games in last year, the Marlins, Cardinals, or now the Reds so what are some of your first impressions on the season I know I've got some of mine but I'd love to hear yours first I know that you know the season it's definitely something to start getting used to but let's hear what you've got to say about it
1: let me first off say I think that the MLB should keep 28-man rosters I think it's it's just better for bullpens um I think
0: that's the plan as of right now at least for the rest of the season
1: yeah, I'm talking about, like, future, though. I like the 28-man roster over a 26-man roster. I feel mm-hmm. like it just gives teams the flexibility where if you're up by, like, I don't know, eight runs, you're able to carry some a pitcher who's maybe, like, your sixth starter in a sense. Maybe, like, you have a, have a young guy, you know, a, a prospect who you're calling up and you don't know if he's ready quite to start yet. But, you know, you're up by six runs or, you know, you're losing by a ton of runs. And, you know, you let him go out there for four innings. But, you know, maybe maybe with a 26-man roster, he's not on it. So, you know, it, it can't hurt to have bigger rosters. It just, you know, allows for, for more flexibility. So I definitely like the 28-man roster. And to build on that, I also think the universal DH is here to stay. Um, MLB is all about, you know, creating more offense. More offense will so draw more fans, more home runs, all that stuff. And I really think it it makes the teams that have depth more important. It, like, you know, you have the universal universal DH. You need to have essentially like another hitter like on your Mets bench did. who you can rely on. Right. Like, I mean, I know you and I are both Mets fans. I don't think Luis Rojas, the Mets manager has gone with the same lineup twice this season. Like, oh, yes, and they've had 25 different positions. Different
0: games and they've all had 25 different lineups. It's ridiculous.
1: Right, exactly. But I think that's, that's kind of cool that you do have that flexibility, whether someone's playing a different position or just the fact that because of the DH, it allows you to, to move the lineup around. And, I mean, I just know from the Mets, like Jeff McNeil um, crashed into the wall. And he kind of banged up his knee. So instead of, you know, just throwing him back in left fielder at second base, he was batting DH. So, you know, not as much running. It just kind of eased him back into actually, you know, just playing and and getting back into an MLB lineup. So Mm -hmm. I think the DH is more than just, like, creating offense. It, It could be viewed for a couple things. And, you know, like also for the Mets. The Mets have been in talks about potentially trading Dom Smith. Without the DH, Dom Smith isn't at the time we recording this. He's currently fifth in the league in RBIs. If there is no DH, Dom Smith isn't getting playing time because Pete Alonso is the Mets' first baseman. You know what I mean? So the DH and they've already goals. got a full outfield, right? Exactly. Whether it's McNeil, JD Davis, because you know the, I don't want to make this like a Mets podcast, but you know I just have like that knowledge. So. I think the, the DH spot can be used in a bunch of different ways. And even just some days, like I know the Mets, they put Pete Alonzo in at DH and Dom Smith played first base, you know, because sometimes guys just, they need that off day. But when someone is that good for you, you can't really afford to give them a full off day. So how do you do that? You put them in at DH, they get their reps at the plate, but, you know, they, they get to sit on the bench for a couple innings for you know, a majority of the game and mm-hmm. and rest up. That way, you know, they can be hot for like the upcoming series. So um I definitely think that the twenty eight man roster and the Universal DH are, are positives to take away from this season. And uh they should they should stay in the future.
0: I personally I, I agree with you on a whole twenty eight man roster thing. I think that's right around the sweet spot. You could have like a six or so man bench where you have enough guys just in case someone gets injured or you yeah. get go deep into an extra inning game. Uh, yeah, 30
1: was too much.
0: A little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. And then you can also have like an eight man bullpen, which is perfect. You run through four or five guys in one game. You don't have to worry about using them for the next game. So right. that's right around the sweet spot. 25 was good, was decent, but 28 was, is probably the sweet spot that we want them to be at. As for the whole DH, i'm probably biased in this sense where i've always been a guy that's like loved pitchers loved supporting you know just pitchers in general and like a more i'd rather a pitcher's duel over a slugfest unless i'm at a game then i'd prefer a slugfest at the actual game but right. in general i more so rather pitcher's duels because it's a lot more strategy based a lot more just The more meticulous things about baseball happens there. And the same thing goes for, you know, on the hidden side of things when you have the DH. I mean, you got to focus a lot on the strategy side of having your pitcher in your starting lineup. So I've started to definitely warm up to the idea. Going into the season, I was 100% against it. I still would rather, after this year, the NL perform to a more NL style or a more traditional NL style of play but I can understand if they keep it how it is. I'm not going to hate it as much as I did, but I still prefer watching pitchers hit every once in a while. If the pitcher actually does get a hit, it's solid. It's, it's entertaining and it adds just another level of strategy to the game. And in baseball, we're already starting to get away from strategy. We're having, you know, everything's focused on the long ball on offense and you know, your your pitchers have a set pitch limit every time. It's not basically it's not where, you know, if your pitcher is still looking good, they're gonna keep going regardless of how many pitches it is. It's more of a, you know, going into the game, you already have a set game plan. It's not like you're as flexible with the strategy as we used to be. And we used to have a bunch of different bullpen roles. You used to have setup man, you used to have, you know, the lefty specialist, the closer, and I mean, the lefty specialist is gone now with the three-batter roll, But a yep. lot of those bullpen rolls are starting to fade away now, too. So the limited amount of strategy that we used to have in a game is really starting to lose itself. So that's mainly where I go against the DH, especially in, in the NL.
1: Yeah. No, I, I definitely get that. I was in the same boat. I was I was not a fan of a universal DH. But, you know... I've I've been thinking about it a lot and you know baseball uh football, basketball, hockey. Whether you're in the Eastern Conference, Western Conference, Atlantic, Pacific, you know, AFC, NFC, all the rules are the same no matter what. So I just don't really understand why baseball um has two sets of rules for depending what you know division or or, you know what what league you're in like that to me has never made sense and you know in my in my opinion I guess I would just rather have like that that um conformity I guess Mm -hmm. so there's no way that the AL is going to start making pitchers bat. so I guess the closest we can start getting to that is you know by allowing a universal DH um there's nothing like as a Mets fan, I mean, we're pretty blessed by having pitchers who can rake. I mean, Stephen Matz has a couple career home runs. Noah Syndergaard hit two home runs in one game against the Dodgers.
0: Yeah, and that then was another crazy. Another
1: game last season in in 2019, he pitched a one nothing shutout against the Reds, in and which he the had only run, run that was scored was a Noah Syndergaard home run, and he pitched a complete game shutout. And you know. Uh, it was only, like, the second or third time I think that's ever happened. Yes, yeah, those like, are the cool things to see. Right. And, and you know, Steven Matz has a couple career home runs. Jacob deGrom has a couple home runs. I mean, I people still talk about Bartolo Colon's home run to this day, and that was back in 2015.
0: Like Yeah, that's because it's so iconic.
1: Right. But here's the thing. All about strategy, you know, if Jacob deGrom is pitching a no-hitter – or you know, he's pitching really well. Are do you want to take him out for a pinch no, hitter because it's a tie game at two? No, like like you want him to keep pitching because cause he's raking, you know the bats will break out, you know, against the bullpen or whatever. But you want you want the Grom to get the win, you know, all that. So, you know, I ultimately I think if if you have a good pitcher that can hit. If they're willing to let them pinch it, you know, like if if they're well, okay. then that goes against the
0: whole point of having a whole twenty-eight man roster because then you have those extra bench spots.
1: Right. Well, in my opinion, if there is a universal DH, I don't think teams are going to use it really for bench spots. I think it'll be more for bullpens because two rules that the the MLB needs to not carry over into 2021 is the three batter minimum Definitely you know not. like like you said i'm also big on strategy i want to see justin wilson and the mets come in face freddie freeman lefty versus lefty matchup and then you know bring out. in seth lugo bring in bring in edwin diaz Dylan Betances to to face off against um you know like ronald acuna like justin wilson should not be in and I just don't think it's fair. Like, you know, we've seen pitchers, you know, first two batters get on base. And then the third batter, you know, the batter has like a lefty-righty advantage or righty-lefty advantage. And I just – I don't think it's fair for for pitchers to be punished. You know, maybe they just don't have it that night. Um, you can't
0: further punish them because if right, they're not you know, having it and their manager sees it, they shouldn't have to sit out there and face three batters, give up two home runs in that span.
1: Right, and especially if it's only a one-run game, like I, I just, I, I don't really think that's fair. And the um, worst part
0: was that it was introduced in this sixty-game season. It was originally planned to be for the hundred sixty-two-game season, but when it's a sixty-game season, every game counts that much more. And this is a type of rule that literally changes
1: games. Right. Yeah, I, I hundred percent agree with that. So I'm, I'm not really a fan. I understand that the MLB wants to speed games along, games take too long. I mean, I hear my dad complain, like, oh, you know, like the Mets game is over three and a half hours. Like, you know, they, they can't have that. That's ridiculous. But, you know, I just – I don't think that's the route to go because I, I think it's kind of like having juiced baseballs. it's just taking away from the integrity of the game. And, Definitely. you know, should get, baseball games be shorter? Yeah, Mets first pitch tonight was 7 seven ten. The game's still going on at ten thirty. I I don't think that's the right spot to to be trying to like save time on.
0: Definitely. It's not. But the other rule that you were probably gonna mention, I'm I'm assuming you're gonna mention it at least, is the extra inning rule, uh, yeah. where the man starts in second base. We've seen that many times across the first three, four weeks of baseball, most notably uh, the first weekend when the Angels and the Athletics were playing and Shohei Otani had that bad base running blunder. Another notable example, the Mets-Braves that weekend. There there are a bunch of games where it's happened and it's – it it has counted so much for the game. I mean, the Rockies and the Uh, Astros got into an extra inning game today. And what happened was both teams scored in the 10th inning. It was tied at one after 10. Top of the 11th comes around. um, The Astros shut the Met Lake down one, two, three. They come up in the bottom of the 11th and the Astros are home. And they start with the guy on second due to the, you know, the free runner on second, and they walk the leadoff batter. Then uh, whoever was up next onto the guy over for, to make it one out. Now you have two runners in scoring position and one out, and all you need is a sack fly. I mean, Miles Straw, who is the hero, he actually he actually got a hit, but that still doesn't take away from the fact that any contact on the baseball, essentially, wins you the game there. Or is that how we're going to win games? You just need to make contact with one ball to end the game?
1: I I get what you're saying. And, like, as as cool – I don't know if cool is the right word to use. But I remember World Series 2018, the game goes 18 innings in Los Angeles. And the next game, I believe, was actually in Boston. I'm not 100% sure about that. But then they had to make the flight and everything. And the problem was everyone was tired because literally everyone played in the 18-inning game. And but at the as, same time,
0: everyone's dealing with it. It's not like you have an advantage over right. one team or another.
1: Right. As interesting as that is, I just – I think the MLB is on the right track. I just don't think man on second, no outs. I don't think that's the format. If I had to choose a, a format for extra innings, bases loaded – Two outs. So, I think that's
0: better than second base. So you you can't you can't just have a you know productive out infield grounder. Right. Like
1: you you either need a walk to score a run, or you need contact, and and you need to put the ball in play. You know you could run on a walk, an error, or a hit. No sacrifices. I mean you could you you know try a suicide have, squeeze. You have some suicide fast cruise. guys. You want to do a suicide squeeze. You do a suicide squeeze. I just don't think running on a second no outs. I, I just don't like how that sets it up. And now, you know, the only problem it, with that,
0: the only problem with that for me is, all it takes is one bad at bat for a pitcher. You could have you could have Rollins Chapman come in, and if he has just one at bat where he's wild, it doesn't it doesn't matter how good he would be after that. He has just one at bat where he uh, throws four balls, and then he's
1: done. Yeah, but you know what? That's that's something you have to you have to risk because you know I I remember it was actually my community. So the Mets were playing the Cardinals. The game went 16 innings. The final score was three two. So it's like you want higher scoring games. That's a potential way to do it. Um, ultimately, I don't really think they should have anyone on base. I think you should have to like. You should want to have to like earn your win, and I feel like if you're doing that, you're not really earning it per se, because like, the the rules are just helping you out by putting the man on second. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like bases loaded, two outs. Like that's the situation like everyone dreams of being in as a kid. So like you're definitely gonna feel the pressure, and as a pitcher, you dream of getting the strikeout. As a batter, you dream of hitting the home run, and like. You know, dreaming of hitting that home run, like, you know, for inexperienced players who, who may not really have a lot of experience being in a clutch position like that, I think that could really impact their at-bat. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to be swinging for the fences when really all they need is just to plop a ball in, in front of the right fielder just yeah. to get the home from third. Um, and, you know, also in a situation like that, you can really risk – uh, you really limit the risk of injury. So I think that's that's important too. But I think that would be the perfect extra inning scenario. Bases loaded, two outs. This batter is either going to win the game or we're going another half inning. It's not like, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? It just kind of tells you what's going to happen for you.
0: Well, that if you were to go that route, which I, I still personally would rather – just normal baseball and extra innings no matter what. If you were to go that route, you can't just do that in the 10th inning to start it. I I would think that it would have to be at least a few innings beyond extra innings, like, say, the 13th or the 14th.
1: I see what you're saying. Like, if you look at the NHL, right, they will play five. So a regular NHL period is 20 minutes. They get into overtime. It's a five-minute. Instead of five-on-five, it's five. So 20 minutes 3 on 3 Overtime is five minutes, three-on-three. Three. Having less people on the ice increases the chances of scoring. After that five-minute period, if it's still tied, they just go to a shootout. So now it's just the goalie and the player. So you're right now, you're either going to make it or you're going to miss it. So I see what you're saying. I think maybe what the, the MLB can do is, okay, well, you know, the, the thing with the MLB is, though, They just had nine innings to try to score more runs than their opponent. You know, the NFL, it's like overtime, either you win or lose. Or you tie. Like, you know, the NBA, they just keep playing overtimes until someone wins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think all major sports have different ways of handling extra innings, overtimes, whatever it may be. So, you know, I don't really think there's like a wrong answer when to start trying to wrap up the game but you know you see an extra inning game that goes 13 14 innings who who's going to pitch the next day for you like are you going to get nine innings out of your starter are you going to
0: potentially
1: a bullpen arm because they have to pitch back-to-back days because your starter got knocked out in the fifth inning now you're going to your bullpen basically for three games in two days well, the
0: other thing is we've been doing this for 150 years. I mean, it's, it's worked all on. It's a rarity. You know, like one time a season, you're going to have a 15-inning game. I mean, it's just something that's going to happen maybe once a season.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. I see it. But I, I think it's just another way to make sure that games aren't running too long um, you know, and especially in, in this 60-game season, like I know the Mets are playing 17 straight games. They're traveling on game day. That's not easy. So, you know, whether they lose or win, it's still just ending the game so they can move on to the next one. And and that goes for all 30 teams. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, important just to, to really focus on, I think, what their ultimate end goal is. They're not trying to screw teams over. They're just, again – they're trying to make the games end a little quicker. And,
0: uh,
1: you know, just in the end, you know, the less time you're playing, the less time you're actually on the field, the less chance of injury, which, you know, that's that's important to to the managers and the coaches and stuff. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how often a player gets injured, you know, in extra innings compared to, like, the first nine innings. But, you know... more exposure you have the higher of a chance you have of of getting hurt
0: yeah i get that so now let's move on to the other inning related change the baseball had this year which is now on double headers they announced beginning of august they would start doing seven game or seven inning double headers and to me it's just it's ridiculous we saw the other day um in the cardinals game i forgot who was pitching but in the cardinals game they had no hitter going through like five and a third. But they had four different pitchers going through it. The no-hitter got broken up, but the whole concept stays the same. It's like, obviously, this is an extreme example with no-hitters and everything, but if you have a no-hitter going on through seven, it's not a legitimate no-hitter. So if you can't treat the no-hitter like legitimate no-hitter, why would you be able to treat the game like a legitimate game?
1: I, I didn't like the update I got that the Cardinals were pitching a no-hitter through seven innings. I – Anything, you know, if a pitcher were to pitch a complete game in seven innings, like a seven-inning complete game in a double. That's header, a normal game.
0: That's a normal game for, like, Garrett Cole. Or,
1: you know, yeah, Jacob that's – like, to me, that's – that's, it's not a complete game. A complete game of baseball is nine innings. Again, like, look at the Cardinals. The Cardinals are on pace after all the doubleheaders and everything. The Cardinals are on pace to play 56 games this season because of their COVID outbreak. There's no way – that they can play 18 innings for, what is it, like two weeks straight. Yeah, that's fair. That's not fair to them. 14 innings is a lot, but at least with the expanded rosters, you can rotate who's getting rest in that. It's going to be really interesting to see how Mike Matheny, um, you know, manages that whole situation. And if the Cardinals, I mean, the Cardinals were, you know, out of play for like 10 or 14 days, whatever it was, but, you know, they came out red hot. So it's going to be really interesting to see, um, like, the Cardinals situation specifically. But um, They're going to be losing
0: a lot of those off days, too, to make those up.
1: Right. Exactly. So, like, I don't think the Cardinals are going to get another off day in 2020, like, for the 2020 season, unless they make the playoffs, which I don't think would be extremely out of the question. But, I mean, I I think – Having the seven-inning double-headers, it's a good idea because, you know, you're still playing 14 innings in the day. I just – I don't want someone to say, oh, I pitched, you know, a no-hitter. You only pitch seven innings. You pitched a seven-inning no-hitter. Like, Jacob DeGrom's done that. You know how many people have pitched no-hitters through seven innings?
0: We've got Kenton Maeda right now. He's just finished the eighth. We'll see if he actually gets it, but – Right. If it was a doubleheader, he'd have it by now.
1: Like, you know, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, it's an abbreviated basketball or it's an abbreviated baseball season. Like, the championship doesn't count." Well, I mean, you still had to work the sixty games to win the championship. You went up against the best of the best. Like, you know, I it, it has credibility. You know, you want to win. Right, like, you, you want to win it for your city, like, you know, for everyone in your city, you may have passed away from coronavirus or, like, just all the social justice issues that we're seeing. Like, you know, you, you want to win for your city. You always – you're going out there, you're playing for the fans, you're playing for the people. And if anything, like, let's just say a team like the Mets, you know, in a full season, you know, they're a wild card team, you know, going against the Braves and the Nationals and even the Phillies. But – and I guess now I have to mention the Marlins – but, um, you know, they they make a playoff run this year. You know, it can kind of turn some heads for free agents to potentially eye up. Like, hey, listen, like, you know, they really did something in that 60-game season. Imagine what they could do in a 162-game season if I joined that team. Like,
0: yeah, I'm Jesse
1: Romuto, I'm eyeing up the Mets. Like, he just watched Wilson Ramos struggle. You know, Tomas Nito, he... He, I don't think he's a starting catcher. I think he's a reliable backup catcher. Like One of the better backup Right. Like, that's something that I think a lot of free agents should be paying attention to is who makes a deep run in this 2020 abbreviated season. But going back to, you know, where I'm getting to with this, seven inning games, I don't think have the credibility for pitchers to say, oh, I pitched a no hitter or – yeah, like we had a combined no hitter through seven innings. I, I just, I, it, no, like something that's always remained consistent about baseball is baseball has always been a nine inning game at the professional level. I, that, that shouldn't change. So you know, like someone like Dallas Brady, who pitched a nine inning perfect game, twenty seven up, twenty seven down.
0: You know, that's, how, I, that's a pretty, perfect game. That's how it should be done.
1: Right. I feel like if you pitch a seven-inning perfect game, you're demeaning the, the 17, 18 pitchers who have pitched that perfect game. So,
0: you know, and I, I think – Don't forget about Galarraga, even though it was not really a perfect game. It's still
1: – Right, right. Yeah. So that's, that's just something I think, you know, people should, should be aware of. Like if they say, oh, I pitched a seven-inning no-hitter, yeah, Jacob deGrom pitched a seven inning no hitter until you know one. Of, you know, there was an error. Well, error. Was Not an error, happened.
0: but he gave up a, like a blue hit. Right, he gave like up that. a
1: base hit up the middle. You know, like like we all saw what happened in uh in Detroit back in two thousand twelve. Like a inning, in the Galarraga, yeah, two throughout. outs, right? And he he's actually called on replay now that. Because if there was instant replay back in two thousand twelve or thirteen, whenever that happened, there was instant replay. He he, he pitches a perfect game, no doubt about it. He was out by a mile, not not a mile. Oh well, yes, call.
0: and then I mean Jim Joyce even like acknowledged it right after the game that he had blown that call.
1: Yeah, he was like, I saw that. He was like, I feel terrible. Like he was out. I wish I could go back and reverse that. And I think that situation specifically made. MLB, open up, instant replay. So Within a couple of years,
0: the instant replay was finally ruled to be a thing.
1: Right. But I I feel like if you do that now, even though he did pitch a perfect game, I just – I feel like it doesn't have the same meaning to it because umpires are one of the things that, you know, pitchers and batters have to deal with Mm -hmm. is umpires and the fact that sometimes umpires just straight up make mistakes and sometimes they're wrong. So exactly. I don't know. I just, I feel like situations like that are, it just loses credibility and and it demeans the ones that were done right, if that makes sense.
0: It does. It does. It definitely, I mean, like you said earlier, it's, it's like essentially required at this moment. If we don't want, you know, the Cardinals to absolutely just die from exhaustion, it's mm-hmm. necessary for them to have some seven inning games here or there, but, It'll, it's not a long-term solution. I don't think the MLB plans on it being more than this, but it's it kind of makes the skeptics out there that aren't exactly high in this season being legitimate anyways. It gives them further reason to kind of diminish the importance of the season. And even fans like myself, who value this season still, kind of realize that, like what happened when in the Yankees doubleheader, the their seven-inning doubleheader against the Phillies or something, you know, in those last two innings of the game, it could be something completely different. The Phillies didn't necessarily, Phillies wouldn't necessarily have won that game if it was nine innings, for example.
1: Right. Yeah. No. I, I 100% agree with you.
0: Now going into the season, a lot of players had some really high expectations, and some had really low expectations. So let's look at some players who are overperforming and some who are underperforming. I think one of the players that has been overperforming the most is the starter for the Minnesota Twins, Randy Dobnak. I mean, right now he's got a 1.42 ERA through five starts. He's only given up two home runs so far, and he's got a whip of 0.868 amongst the lead leaders up there. I don't really know how much he's going to be able to keep this up. We saw that. Last year, he had a few relief appearances and did pretty well in those. And he was started as well, but he wasn't as good as he's been looking right now. And to be up there with an ERA below 1.5 and a whip below 0.9 with five starts into the season, which is a decent enough sample size, I just think that he's overperforming. I'm not sure if he can keep this up.
1: Yeah. um, I don't want to spoil too much who some of, who one of my next picks is going to be, but um the the Minnesota Twins they have power in the bats for days and days and days, but if they don't have the pitching, they're going to be um in my opinion I think another early exit um from like last year right from from the playoffs. So I mean I don't know. You can only out hit your opponent so much if you rely solely based on your bats. That's not good. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, he's a, he's a crucial piece. And, you know, if he can perform like this and, and keep performing like this, um, you know, he, he's a crucial piece in, in the Twins making the playoff run.
0: Yeah, he is. And if he can keep this up or even to a point that is even half of what he's doing right now, it'll be huge for the Twins, especially in the playoffs when you need – a couple guys that can go in you only need two or three starters in a rotation I mean you've got Maeda who's looking really good so far this year especially tonight and you have him you can have those two guys go out there and be the majority of your playoff starts but I, I still think he's overperforming. I mean we haven't seen enough out of him prior to this to completely have a full baseline but he has yet to really have an outing where he's gotten rocked yet in the bigs and we know even for the best of pitchers it just doesn't happen
1: yeah I mean no matter how good of a pitcher you are at some point you're going to have that blow up game you're going to have that game where you get pulled in the third inning you have that game where you give up five runs on you know eight hits and you know you walk three batters you you know just pitching you're not going to have it every start or every outing whatever it may be And with that being said, one guy who has had it every start that he's gone out for is an AL Central uh, division rival for uh, the Twins in Shane Bieber. Now, I know, Justin, you and I were talking before we started recording that, you know, Bieber was projected to maybe be a Cy Young winner. um, Oh, for sure. But... He's been the, I don't think anyone thought he would be the best pitcher in the league, and that's what I think he is. I think he is hands down the best pitcher in the league. Um, in five starts, the man – I don't even – I can't call him a man. He's, he's so much better than just a man. He, he is a god amongst boys. That is how good Shane Beaver has been this year. That's one of the five that. Five starts, four and all with a 130 ERA, and 34 and two, two-thirds innings pitched. Is 54 strikeouts. That's that insane, is dude, he's laid,
0: he, he set He's a leading Iraq- the league in strikeouts.
1: Right. Um, he, he, I believe, is third all time with the most strikeouts through a starting pitcher's first five games. And he's, he's not going – he's not throwing complete games. You know, I, th- I think his first start he went seven innings, had 14 strikeouts, Second start, another you know six seven innings, you know double digit strikeouts. The the man has just been so good this season, and you know I I think it really all started when he got the uh, the All Star MVP. I think that really put his name on the map, and you exactly know, I'm really excited to see what he does for the rest of the season. And, you know especially everything going on in Cleveland now with you know, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plisak, I really wouldn't be surprised if those two guys aren't Cleveland Indians um, by the end of 2021. I'm not saying I think they're going to get traded or anything, but they definitely fractured some of their relationships in Cleveland.
0: So don't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, you saw like Frankie Lindor was saying he uh, was thinking of, or not Lindor, Lindor was spoken out against it, but Oliver Perez was saying he might opt out if they weren't optioned down.
1: Yeah, I totally get it. Um, he was he was putting people at risk with the both of them were putting people at risk, which, um, you know, that's that's not right of them to do. Um, so Shane Bieber, I think he's going to wind up being the number one starter next year. Um, you know, on on any team, I, I think he's the number one starter. He's he's hands down the best pitcher in baseball.
0: He is. I mean. I think you put him in an overperformed category just because we didn't see him as the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, it was going ahead was of time.
1: Jack Flaherty, Gary Cole, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer. You know, like like those were people like Strasburg
0: guys. in that conversation.
1: Right, those were the guys. Like, these are the best in the league. You know, Shane Bieber. Yeah, he's pretty good at this baseball thing, but now he's he's not the best in the league. Maybe he has a Cy Young in his future. Maybe this season, who knows? You know, he's only going to wind up getting probably 12 starts. You know, not what he stays healthy. But you know, no one put Shane Bieber in the conversation as as those guys. So, mm. you know, I, I definitely think he's he's overperforming.
0: Yeah, but not necessarily to a point where it's like we're saying that we don't expect him to be a top pitcher in baseball. You're using the word sparingly, and I know it's how like how people are like oh, this player's overrated, but we're not saying he's bad. That's exactly what I think you're
1: saying here, and I would completely agree with you. Yeah. Like, I just – I don't – I feel like if I didn't mention Shane Bieber as the – in in this category, I I wouldn't be happy with myself. I just mm-hmm. – I couldn't find someone better to say.
0: Yeah. One other pitcher that, that just came to mind that you could also say is the guy who's actually leading the MLB in ERA right now through five starts, and that's going to be Lance Lynn. I mean, Lance Lynn is a one ERA right now through five starts. He doesn't have as many ins pitched or as many strikeouts as Bieber, but he's still getting a 10 strikeouts per nine. His whip is a 0.742, which is even below Radon e- Randy Dobnak, like I said earlier, it's very close to the Bieber level that we were just talking about, and this guy was 33, and he really he started his career in St. Louis and did pretty well then. But then when when he moved to the AL, was with the Yankees for a little bit, the Twins for a little bit, he wasn't seen as you know that great. Then he went to the Rangers last year, improved a little bit, but no one saw this guy as a guy who would have an ERA, you know below 3.5, let alone as 1.11 five games into the year. He has a complete game. It wasn't a shutout, I believe he only gave up two runs that game. For a guy that is 33, has never had a year like this, I know it's five games into the year, but, I mean, that's almost half of your starts in a 60-game season. I don't think he's going to keep it up, but if he does, it's going to be a crazy race between him and Bieber for who wins the AL Cy on?
1: Yeah. Um, Lance Lynn is actually a great pick because he's really like the perfect pick for what this segment of this episode is like really meant for, you know, especially this season. Lance Lynn is facing the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Padres, Astros, Athletics, Angels. Those, Those are all very good hitting teams, um, you know, on, on a good night. So the fact that Lance Lynn is doing all this against those types of teams is extremely impressive to me. Um, His, his no hitter was in
0: Colorado. Like it was, he pitched in Colorado and had the complete game. Excuse me. He only gave up one run.
1: Yeah. I mean that, that's just, that's great. I mean, I don't really remember seeing an ERA that low. I mean, I'm looking right now. Shane Bieber has a 1.30 ERA, but, you know, to be almost below one, I agree. I think, you know, as the season kind of goes on and progresses and, you know, batters are getting more comfortable and they're getting in the streaks, you know, I think at some point um, they are going to start getting hits off of them and, you know, Some hits are going to go over the fence, and some hits are going to turn into runs and whatnot. So um, I just, yeah, especially on a team like Texas, they've been playing hot, you know, the first 25 games. Do I think they're they're pitching? Right. Do I think that they're a playoff team? No, probably not. Um, I just, I don't think the bats are going to be consistent enough for them. But
0: they who knows hurt.
1: what the future holds. But, uh, yeah, no, that's that's definitely a, a really good pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll stay with the pitchers. But um, we're going to go to those pitchers who are underperforming. So, um, like we were talking about before in Minnesota, I'm going to go with Jose Barrios. Um, He, he was the number one. For Minnesota, and there was a lot I, of hype around him. He was I believe in. he
0: was my pick going into the season as my Cy Young. So, really? You know, that's kind of a. That's, I think that was my, my twin Cy Young pick on the podcast, on the preview oh, podcast. Oh, okay. I was not, like, not
1: the, No. I was like, My expectations for him were not nearly as high, but, you know,
0: I guess it's. Good. No, yeah, the twin Cy Young. So, it, it still looks like a kind of a hot take now, but continue with yeah. what you were going on about him.
1: Yeah. Um,. I mean, he—he's just—he. I feel like he's kind of lost out there. He started five games. He's one and three with a five ninety two ERA. He's only pitched twenty four in the third inning innings. Um, you know, so he's pretty much—I don't even think he's going out there. He's pretty much coming out in the fifth inning. Um, he's already given up four home
0: runs in that in those twenty four innings.
1: Right. Um, he only has twenty four strikeouts. He—he's just not really pitching well, and if. The Minnesota Twins want to make a deep playoff run. They're going to need Jose Barrios to start pitching better. Um, you know, he, he's a two-time All Star. Um, he's he's you know a good pitcher. I, I he's just lost right now, but you know he he really needs to to steer his ship and and get it back on course. Because right now, if if he doesn't, the, the Twins are maybe facing another early postseason exit. Yeah, a big part of it is, is how much he's walking batters. I mean,
0: he's walking batters twice as often as he was last year. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's not good. He's, he's, it's what is leading to his whipping over 1.6 right now. He's got a whip of 1.64, and that's probably the core of his issues, along with hanging some pitches over the middle of the plate to lead to his home runs. So those are the two big things he has to fix. Is he going to fix it? I don't know. It's a short enough season where he might not be able to figure it out. And he don't have the minor leagues where he could go down for a start or two and find his craft back down there. So yeah. we'll see how he does. But it's going to be very disappointing if he continues to pitch the way he's been pitching this year. Just like it's going to be pretty disappointing if Lucas Giolito keeps pitching the way that he's pitching. Uh-huh. I think he might be the person who's underperforming the, the most. He had extremely high expectations going into the year as one of the younger fine arms in the game at the age of 25. And he, oh, he had a nice bounce back start the other day. He still has an ERA approach in five. He leads the league in uh, batters walked. I mean, you thought he found his, finally found his rhythm last year, finally fixing the control issues that he had in 2018. But those started yeah. to come back and he's wow. given up a trio of home runs so far. He's just not looking like the Lucas Giolito that finished sixth in the All-Star voting last year.
1: Yeah. Um. Man, it, like, I call this guy Lucas Giolito because last season he was just so good. Like, every time he was on the mound, I was always trying to look for highlights because I, I just wanted to watch him pitch. You know, he was just – he was nasty. Um. The good news for the White Sox, though, is that, you know, they signed Dallas Keuchel. He's been doing well. They, they lost Daniel Cease, though. He, he opted out. Oh,
0: no, I'm sorry. It was Michael Kovac. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cease is still playing.
1: Yeah. So even if Giolito isn't 100% where he is, if, if he can just, you know, start getting on track, just calm down, I think, you know, for, for as good as Giolito was last season, Um, I think maybe just some of the hype got to him and um, he just expected too much out of himself because he thought everyone else expected too much out of him. And not that I think it's too much because I do think he could really be one of the top tier pitchers in the MLB, not just the AL, but the MLB as a whole. Um, The expectations are are right to be that high. I think, you know, Giolito just just needs to calm down and, and needs to remember that, he he doesn't have to go out there. He doesn't have to overthrow. He doesn't have to be crazy. He just has to go out there. He has to do what he does best and just put the ball over the plate. Um, you know, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson. You know, we could we could go on and on about the depth that the, the Chicago offense besides Yeah, Abreu. Yeah, like you know, and and that's only that's only five guys. Um, five six guys. So. Um, you know, Giolito, just go out there, do your thing, let the bats, you know, let the bats help you out, let let the gloves help you out. Just put the ball over the plate, do your thing. I I think ultimately in the end, everything's going to be all right for Lucas Giolito. I think Dallas Keuchel, you know, experienced pitcher, I think he needs to – I think a, a player like Dallas Keuchel could really help Lucas Shilito kinda kinda get into his rhythm.
0: Yeah, he definitely should. I mean, Keichel's been doing really well and he's been through slumps before. So this is a time where, you know, you could just teach your moments to the young guy and give him give him some pointers as to how to get out of the slump.
1: Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with that. We'll stay negative. We can talk about our players who are underperforming on the offensive side. I don't quite know if I'm if I'm gonna take any crap for this pick or not, but um I had to go with Jose Altuve, the Astros' second baseman.
0: Not really awesome. surprised there. That entire offense has been abysmal this year so far. I mean even having the same problem as the Mets where they just struggle at leaving runners on scoring runners yeah. on in scoring position. But like all their stars, like you said Altuve and a bunch of other guys yeah. have just been absolutely terrible.
1: Yeah. I mean Carlos Correa was Pretty much the only player who was like semi consistent, consistently doing well. I mean, Bregman was on and off. George Springer terrible. I I think I I just gravitated towards Jose Altuve because he was at the centerpiece of the whole cheating scandal. Um, it's pretty hard. Baseball is a pretty hard game when uh, when you don't know what pitch is coming. Oh, excuse me, have the hiccups. Okay. Um, you know. Baseball is a pretty hard game when when you don't know which pitch is coming. Um, some people can say that. I think we're that. seeing that. You know, a, a lot of people said, oh, like Barry Bonds, like even though you use steroids, like you still need to have natural talent to hit the ball. And I think some people were trying to say you still – even though they knew a pitch was coming, you still need to have natural talent to know how it's going to so though to know how to hit it. No. No, 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 no. Like when you know that a pitch is going to break – you may not even swing like there is so so much of a difference between the two scandals so i mean if you're
0: looking at like say say you're going against clinton kershaw you hear the bang that means it's a curveball well you're like oh he's got the nastiest don't swing. In the league don't swing right. if it's
1: yeah right so um you know i i definitely think i he for everyone who was saying Jose Altuve is not this bad, well, you know what? Maybe he is this bad. In 91 at bats, he only has 16 hits. Three of those are home runs. He's been 176 through the first 25-ish games.
0: I don't necessarily think he's he is this bad though, because we saw before the whole cheating scandal, he was. I mean, he's a career 313 hitter, and they only confirmed to be cheating for one year. I mean, he was always hitting above 300, above 330. Prior to the cheating scandal, I don't think he's this bad necessarily.
1: Here's here's my thing though. It was only confirmed for the 2017 season. That's only bec- if if the Astros didn't win the World Series in 2017. I don't think the information comes out that came out. I think people you don't think fires reports it.
0: What? You don't think fires reports it? You don't think
1: he blows a whistle on it? No, because he also waited two years to do it. So. You know, they – they Fires would have had no reason to report the cheating scandal if they didn't win because at that mm-hmm. point it's like, well, you know, they cheated and they still didn't win. So, you know, what does it matter? Uh, you know, do they still probably face backlash and everything? Yeah, probably. But I I don't think it has the severity that it has – um so who knows and i mean you know they i i don't think 2017 was the first time that they cheated whether it was a buzzer whether it was the trash cans no matter what it was so um you know i'm not saying Jose Altuve is like a 176 hitter i don't think he's this bad which is why i think he's underperforming even though he doesn't hear the banging of a trash can but do i think he's really a 313 hitter Probably not, but that's just my opinion. Well, but, if
0: if you're looking also at the splits, I mean, he actually has been better in his career away where they haven't had the trash cans and everything. So
1: that is true, but then you know, in the bullpen, they also have the catchers putting up the arms or whatnot, um, you know, for to symbolize certain things. So, you know, ultimately, do I think Jose Altuve is this bad? No, it's why he's under my underperformer. But, you know, I I still think, you know, it has something to do with it. Mm
0: -hmm. I I definitely get that. I mean, I still think that he's usually an above 300 hitter. And no doubt that he's underperforming. The whole offense is underperforming. And honestly, I couldn't care less if they keep underperforming. But something I actually kind of hope gets out of his slump. I mean, he's finally started to over the past week or two is – former MVP pick, I, I also would have had him as my MVP last year. Uh, but Christian Jelic, he's still hidden under the Mendoza mark at 194. But he's finally finding his way, and that's well above the uh, his season low average at uh, 045 back in the first week of the year. Or, you know, once you have a bigger sample size at 13th of the year, he was hidden below 150. He's finally starting to find his way. But he's still... Isn't the Christian Yelich that we all, you know, know and most of us love. He's on base. His OPS is finally getting to a fairly respectable area. It's at 773 right now. But he's striking out a lot. He's struck out 26 times already through 19 games. And his home run numbers are finally starting to get there. Five runs and 12 RBIs. But the biggest thing with him was, especially the first two weeks of the year, he was hitting a lot of the balls on the ground. I saw a set with an insane amount of the times where he actually put the ball in play. He was just grounding them deep into the ground. And he's finally starting to figure that out. And over his last six games, he is uh, six for 23, which, I mean, it's not not great, but it's better than hitting below 150 like he was prior to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, so many big players were just not – off to hot starts, which is really unfortunate, because especially in a 60-game season, you know, everyone wants to see the best players just go off for 60 games because, you know, it's a shortened season, and, you know, a, a lot of players can have a lot of success in just 60 games. Um, you know, if you look at a 162-game season, you know, 60 games, you know, players could, could play pretty well in. Think about this, just a little over two months of play. Um so
0: Wilson Ramos and Amanda Rosario were the last two months of last year, and and then we take a look at where they are at now.
1: Right, exactly. And you know, some guys they need the time to heat up, so you know they're they're not going to come out of the gates, you know, super hot. Um, and Christian Yelich has definitely fell in that category. I I think by the time the season ends, um, you know, a majority of these like guys like Pete Alonso, Christian Yelich, you know, Cody Bellinger. You know, even Altuve, George Springer, Alex Bregman. Or Asoley all-
0: or Ajuno Suarez for another couple
1: of their names. Right, right. All these guys, hopefully by the end of the season, at least have, I, I think you said, like respectable numbers. I, I think that's, you know, where some of those guys just kind of want to be. And then next season when they have 162 games to properly, you know, have a spring training to properly get in the groove of things you know, they'll, they'll
0: bounce back. My biggest little scare, though, is, like, we're now a third of the way through the season for most of these teams. We're getting to the point where, yeah, sure, they'll be putting up respectable numbers, but they're not going to be hitting, like, like yeah, He's not going to be hitting the 325 that you expect him to. He's not going to be hitting the over 900 OPS that you're starting to expect from him. Uh, same thing with Bellinger. Alonzo is probably not going to hit, uh, you know, the 850-900 OPS you would, have expected from him going into the year, so they're not—they're—they're going to put up more respectable numbers, but they're not going to look like the superstars they were perceived going into the year.
1: Yeah, no, I—I I 100% agree with you on that. How about
0: a guy that's overperforming. I mean, we have talked a bit about underperforming for now. Let's go back to overperforming, and I'll, I'll talk about a hitter. I know of a popular pick that everyone's going to say is Charlie Blackman or even someone like Nick Castellanos. But even I'm Mike gonna, Trout. Even Mike Trout, but, I mean, he's the best player in baseball. You, you still expect him to put up. I would post- say he's
1: performing.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I'm going to say Fernando Tatis, okay? And I know I know he's a really young guy, 21. He's a monster. People are comparing him, like, you know, to how – uh, you know, Bryce Harper was when he came up, even how Mike Trout was when he came up, or for someone that's right now, Juan Soto. But I never would have expected him to be leading the MLB in home runs, RBIs, and being in the top 10 for OPS right now. His OPS plus is 200, which I'm not a big save Metrics guy by any means, but that basically means his adjusted OPS is 100% better than the average player. I mean, his adjusted OPS is double that of the average player. I never expected him to put up the production of, you know, twice the average player. His his war on the season, 15 games, or excuse me, 23 games into the season is already 1.6. I mean, that's on pace for somewhere close to, I think, over double digits in a full season. I never would have expected this out of Fernando Tatis, and I don't think he'll be able to sustain this. I mean, he's on pace for 30 home runs on the season and
1: 80 RBIs in a 60-game season. So... I remember before the season started, because I'm a Mets fan, Pete Alonso, home run hitter, you know, yada, yada, yada. If a player hits 11 home runs in a 60-game season, it is equivalent to hitting 30 home runs in a 162-game season. A lot of these sluggers, you know, they can hit 30 home runs in, in a 162-game season. It's almost expected of them. Yeah, exactly. Fernando Tatis Jr. threw. August eighteenth, two thousand twenty. We're about what, twenty five games into the season? Fernando Tatis twenty-three? For him, yeah. Fernando Tatis is twenty three games in the season and already has eleven home runs. That's ridiculous. He still has thirty seven games left to play. I think he hits twenty home runs on the season. No doubt. Might even get to twenty five. Right, and I think that would be absolutely ridiculous. I know some people thought he got snubbed for Rookie of the Year. I think he just – he was injured too much last year
0: yeah, for, for him to year. get
1: it. And Pete Alonso broke the Rookie home run record. I, I think, you know, just given the situation, it was obvious that it had to go to Alonzo just based on some of those factors. But Fernando Tatis is going to be – one of the most elite players in three years. He, I already think he's, he's a top-ten shortstop, but the he's only problem, going to be elite when he is a top-three shortstop.
0: The only problem with him is, I was talking to my friend about this the other day, even though he's not necessarily a liability on defense, he's nothing special. He's about average, league average. And for a position that's really important defensively, like shortstop, It's something that you might consider moving him somewhere else, even if it's to, like, third base. You kind of have, like, a Manny Machado type thing where you're both third and short base or even the right side of the infield or something. Uh, So that's kind of a a little thing that you kind of go away from. You're not saying that he's necessarily a five-tool player, but he is definitely one of the best offensive shortstops maybe ever when it's all said and done. But as of right now, I just think he's putting up numbers that, he won't be able to sustain but at the same time you don't ever see this kind of power and uh, power contact and even running ability at the shortstop position.
1: yeah no I, I definitely get what you're saying I mean defensively is he the number one defensive shortstop no but I I think he's better than some of the other options out there like you said I I mean, I don't personally think he's an average shortstop. I think he's – I would call him slightly above average um, defensively. You know, he's definitely a guy where if he's playing shortstop, I mean, maybe he's not a vacuum. Maybe he doesn't have the the strongest arm in the league. But you're going to feel comfortable slotting him in, you know, at that sixth position. It's not like it was a Derek Cheater type thing, no. Right. I mean, you know, it's pretty hard to, to beat the captain. But, you know, I, I definitely think he, you know, as time goes on, he, he'll he look at his weaknesses. And, you know, if his weaknesses are defense, he's going to try to improve, improve upon that. But, you know, I definitely think he could give Cal Ripken, Derek Jeter a run for their money. That's how good I'm predicting Fernando Tatsis Jr. to be in this league.
0: Hmm. he
1: could definitely be one of the best
0: offensive, if not the best offensive up of all time. And it's all said and done. Like I had said earlier, I just yeah. don't see him putting up, you know, on average to be, if this were a full season, obviously it's not, if if this were a full season right now, he's on pace for about 200 RBIs and 85 home runs or 80 home runs. That's that. that's just not happening. So that's why I'm going to put him yeah. as overperforming just
1: a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that. And, you know, all right. so if we're talking about shortstops, I'm going to talk about another shortstop. I'm going to go back to the AL Central, though. Um, I'm talking about Tim Anderson for the White Sox. This man, 18 for 53 on the season. 18 of those hits have been – no, I'm sorry. Out of 18 of those hits, four of them have been home runs. My man Tim Anderson is back 340. And he does not care. He's going out there. He's grinding every single game. Um. He's he's on base percentage is three seventy five. Slugging six seventy nine. His OPS is one point zero five four.
0: That six seventy nine is really eye opening because that's better than a good amount of people's OPS,
1: and that's just the slugging part of it. And if this pick tells you anything about the Chicago White Sox, Tim Anderson is leading off. He's their leadoff hitter. That is how deep the Chicago White Sox run. And I remember, you know, he he wasn't getting a ton of love his first couple seasons, but after last year's bat flip, I don't even want to call it an incident. It wasn't really an incident, but I guess you could call it an incident. You know, I feel like that really put him on the map. And I feel like this is a guy who feeds off – obviously, fans aren't in the stadiums, but, you know, for lack of better words, I would just say, like, energy. Like, you know, if people are going out there, people are supporting him, people are saying, I love Tim Anderson, he's going to feed off that, and that's what's going to make him better. I remember he came out with a quote, um, you know, in a post-game, pre-game interview, whatever it was, he goes – you know what, I may not be the best, but I can guarantee that I'm going to go out there and give you 110%. Now, I mean, maybe that's not what he said word for word, but it was something around, you know, around that, that, how, you know, no matter what, he's going to, he's going to give you his everything. He's going to leave it all out on the field. And especially in a White Sox team that is this young, this is the guy that you want being like a leader in your in your clubhouse. And Tim Anderson Definitely playing like it. He definitely has a personality for it. Um, you know, Tim Anderson is a two seventy-eight career hitter. He's back three forty this season.
0: Well he led the he led the MLB last year with three thirty-five, so it looks like he's starting to improve in terms right. of that part of the right. game.
1: You know, um here, if we scroll down real quick, you know, his his first season, his age twenty three season in uh 2016 283 then he dropped down to 257 then 240 last year 335 that was the best in the major leagues and now he's batting 340 so I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see um you know how Tim Anderson finishes the season I think he's going to finish strong you know he's feeding right now you can't feed off the fans but you can feed off your teammates and you know, I think the White Sox are having a lot of fun with Imanez and Robert, and you know, the the pitching Keiko and and uh, Dylan Cease. You know, it's just it's a good situation. It's it's good to be a Chicago White Sox.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: It's it's a lot of fun being
0: both a fan and a player in Chicago yeah. for either team.
1: Yeah, and I, I know. You know my preseason predictions before the expanded playoffs um I, I had the chicago white Sox making it as a wild card actually over the cleveland indians and i honestly right now i think i still stand by that statement but with yeah, the expanded playoffs I, I think both teams will wind up making the playoffs
0: yeah definitely they're both in a game and a half of each other right now with the indians having the lead but they're both extremely close the 60 game season has also affected a lot of teams very differently each division has a team or two that's been really surprising in one way or another, and we're just going to talk about those for now. I think the NL East, the most obvious answer to this, is going to be the Miami Marlins. I mean, they had COVID in the beginning of the year, so they they missed out on a couple games, but they're starting to make it up, and they're sitting at a nine and eight and in perfect position for a for an MLB postseason ticket right now. They're only one game behind Atlanta, even though they've got you know they've got seven less games than the Braves, but they're still a game behind them nonetheless. And uh, if you told me going into the year, a third of the way through the season, Miami was in a playoff spot, even with expanded playoffs, I would have told you to get out of my face and turn to the other direction.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely crazy. I did not think the Marlins were going to start the season. What was it, like five and one, six and one? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, the fact that the Marlins are second um, through – the NL East nonetheless. Right. Through August 18th, um, that actually means the Washington Nationals are in last place. The former uh, – the, the reigning World Series champions are 9-12 and 12 with a 429 win percentage. In a season like this, you know, you're having teams have games postponed and whatnot. You really have to focus on win percentage, not really so much record. Yeah. Um, so the Mets and Nationals are both only three games back of the Braves, but definitely the the Marlins are definitely the surprise team in the NL East. But I also think it is interesting to note that that means the Nationals are in last place. It is interesting. No, that entire
0: division has just got a lot of weird things going on. I mean, part of it is obviously because COVID had you know. Mess with the Marlins for a bit. Even the Phillies had a series or two canceled because of it. But the Marlins, I don't honestly even know where any of this is coming from. their Their team batting average isn't very high. They don't have. They don't even have a guy hitting above two eighty on their entire team. They have a couple guys with four home runs, Aguilar and Brian Anderson. But overall, they haven't done anything particularly well, per se. Like you look at the Mets. They, they're second in the MLB in hits per game, or hits, overall hits, excuse me. You look at the Braves, they've had an absolutely fantastic offense. You look at the Phillies, J.T. realmuto has been playing well. Bryce Harper's been playing well. With the Marlins, they're in second place, but they haven't really had one guy specifically take over. I mean, maybe you talk about Miguel Rojas, but he's been injured ever since the end of that first series. I think, I don't know if it's, I think it was COVID, right?
1: um Yeah. i'm i'm not sure what it was but this is what i was talking about before the season started the teams that didn't really have the high expectations call up the prospects let the prospects get mlb time let, well, this is- let them let them face mlb pitchers let them pitch against you know, MLB batters. and Well, this you know, is something though, that
0: the Marlins are doing more so by obligation instead of choice.
1: With half their team testing positive, they have all those guys right. at camp. Right, but some some of those guys have, have proven to be, like, pretty, pretty decent, you know? Like, they're probably not going to be starters. They probably wouldn't be starters in a regular 162-game season, at least at this point. But we're looking at the prospects from... John Carlos Stanton trade, prospects from the Christian Yellows trade, Marcelo Zuna trade, um, you know, the the trade that sent Chris Paddock and, and a couple of prospects to San Diego. So we're finally starting to see like a a glimpse of the future for Miami. And you know, if this is just the start of what the future holds for Miami, like the NL East is going to wind up being the most competitive division in the entire MLB because right now there's already four potential teams that could make the playoffs. And if you add a fifth, it's going to be really fun to watch in the next couple of years. I think it's going to force the other teams to get better.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, one of the other things that that kind of blown my mind is that the Marlins right now are without their two top starting pitchers, Caleb Smith hasn't played since the first week of the year. He had COVID. He was finally uh, received clearance the other day to resume baseball activities. And Sandy Alcantara has also been out for the majority of the year. And he's supposed to return at some point next week. That's his expected return. So once these two guys get back, I I don't know, maybe, and, and Miguel Rojas too, maybe the Marlins may actually be able to make not just a playoff spot, but one of the top two NL East spots.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the last ten games, the Marlins are three and seven, so I think they're they're finally starting to maybe get back to where their expectations were. Um, I don't, I just, I don't know how much those three players are really going to impact their team you know, the fact that two of them are starting pitchers, you know, I mean, Caleb Smith isn't really anything like too special. He, on a, on a, I would say good team, he's probably a three or four pitcher. You know, Sandy Sandy. He's out-coming. better than Humberto Mejia who went out there today. I, that, that's true, but you know, like Caleb Smith, he's, he could still easily give up like four runs, three to four runs, like, you know, I don't think that's something, like, crazy. It's not like, oh, Caleb Smith would have gone out there and only given up one run. You know, I I don't really think Caleb Smith could have had, like, a much better outing than Mejia did. But then again, you never know. Mejia could have given up no runs, and Smith could have given up, you know, six runs. You just never know. You just kind of have to go with what life is actually, you know, putting out there. Mm-hmm. um Al Alcantara, on the other hand, though, you know, on some teams, he, he's a, potentially a two on, on a team that maybe doesn't have a, a deep rotation. But in my opinion, I think he's more of a really solid three pitcher. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, I think getting both those guys back is definitely going to help them. But I don't think it's going to push them to you know, a, a potential playoff spot. I think the, the Nationals are going to come around. The Nationals are just battling uh, some injuries. The, you know, the Mets, their entire starting rotation has just kind of collapsed. So, you Do know. The injuries once again. Right. To, to injuries that hopefully, you know, isn't going to keep out their starting pitchers for, you know, the entire season, um, the ones that, you know, are still remaining. Um, and and you know I, I think everything is going to wind up balancing out. But you know throughout the first twenty three, um, I'll just say twenty five days because the Marlins haven't played twenty three games. Um, it's definitely been interesting to see that they actually have a winning record.
0: It is, and we'll see how they do when those guys come back. I'm not going to say it's going to you know spin them around the way that that Christian Yelich had spun around the Milwaukee Brewers, but right. It, it might it might keep them in a playoff spot and if if they make it i don't know exactly how far they'll go but if you know the first round is only 3 games they might be able to
1: pull off an upset yeah maybe i i, I don't know i think the marlins aren't going to finish number 2 in the in the division and i think if they don't finish number 2 in the division or number 1 Um, I I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I think, you know, they're just NL Central and NL West teams that, you know, probably have a better chance at at making it. Even NL East teams that they just have more depth and would probably just wind up being more successful, you know, over the next couple weeks than they're the ones that wind up, you know, taking the the rest of the playoff spots.
0: Mm -hmm. We'll see what goes on with them, but a team that's, doing really well right now and probably will make a playoff spot, especially with the expanded expanded, uh, offseason, expanded postseason. I wouldn't be surprised if the Chicago Cubs at 14 and 7 right now make the playoffs. I think the biggest thing for them right now is that they have what possibly could be defined as the best starting rotation so far in this season. I mean, Tyler Chatwood has been looking absolutely phenomenal for them. Kyle Hendricks, he's been looking a little shakier, but he's still been a solid pitcher. Yu uh, Darvish has been looking really good, and John yeah, Lester has also been good. Well, with Darvish, he's always had that potential, but it's been really inconsistent when he's been able to keep it, to mm-hmm. reach it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Yu Darvish has, has always had the potential of really being a, a breakout star, being, a, I wouldn't say like one of the best of the best, but. You know, he he definitely have potential of being an all star, you know, maybe uh getting a couple of of third place like, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth place Cy Young votes. Um, you know, just a couple here or there, maybe by Chicago voters, whatnot. Um but if you told me the, the Cubs are gonna start this season fourteen and seven, I, I probably wouldn't believe you. Um five and five in their last ten. But their home record, they're nine and five away, they're five and two. So um you know, no matter where they go, they're winning, which I think is really important. Um, you know, uh they Definitely. they had some off time um with the Cardinals, um, catching COVID. And, you know, it, it always helps, especially in the shortest season, to to have a couple off days, to be able to just catch your breath, you know, and and just go back out there and and try to you know just ball out.
0: Mm, definitely, and and those off days might have helped them, but it's also helped everyone else in that division because the people that have faced the Cardinals or would have faced the Cardinals, they've all gotten those off days, which honestly were really necessary. They might be regretting it later in the year when they have to have those double headers against the against the Cardinals, but as of right now. That's looking good for them. And honestly, another surprise in the NL Central is a disappointing one. The Cincinnati Reds are 9-11 and 11 right now in fourth place. It looks like they'd be out of a playoff spot right now if these were not today by a couple games. And going into the year, they were a dark horse. Not even necessarily a dark horse. They were kind of like the underdog pick, but at the same time, they were the trendy pick. For the, AL, for the NL Central, it's like yeah. everyone that didn't want to pick the obvious pick decided to pick the Reds, and they've just been underperforming now. They're 4-6 and six in their last 10, and it's not looking like they're going to be you know, getting back to that level just yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, no. it really sucks. The The Reds made a lot of off and acquisitions for bats and Castellanos. And he's been looking good. Um, you know, obviously, last season they traded for Trevor Bauer. Sonny Gray's been pitching pretty well. Um can't knock out Luis Castillo. You know, he, he was really good last season and pretty good this season. Um, the the Reds, I think, they, they need to work on their bullpen. Um, That's the biggest th- issue. Yeah, I, Rice I think. Hill.
0: Rice Hill and Glades, can, case just looked awful.
1: Yeah, I, if, if they can work on their bullpen and they can close out some games, or you know, just be able to to rely on someone coming coming you know out of the outfield to pitch for them um they could it 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 could you know probably give them a couple more wins here or there, so um, I don't think that they're quite there yet, maybe not this season goes on, but I think as as you know next season approaches, they're really gonna look at what they need. And uh, and I, I think they'll wind up going after it. Um, you know, it, it's pretty obvious that the Cincinnati Reds want to be successful, and uh, you know, it it sounds like they're they're pretty much willing to do what it's going to take to to be successful. Yeah, the the really kind of like
0: sad part about all of this is like, you might want to say that like, well, look, maybe they played a bunch of hard competition, maybe they played. The Brewers a bunch. Maybe they played Cleveland a bunch of times, but you look at their schedule and they've played uh, they played ten games between the Tigers, the Royals, and uh, and Pittsburgh, and they've gone five hundred in those ten games. So it's not like they can rely on a bat on a front heavy schedule and you know play easy games against the Tigers, Royals, and Pirates the rest of the year. They've still got a bunch of hard games upcoming. I mean, their next fourteen games. They've got seven against the St. Louis Cardinals, four against the Brewers, and three against the Chicago Cubs. So it's not going to be a fun rest of the year for the Reds. And honestly, I I was really high on them going into the year, but they've got to start working on on their core pieces, which have been looking really good. They need to develop their bullpen, like you had said, and just build upon everything that has been going right for them, like Castellanos, like Sonny Gray, like Trevor Bauer.
1: Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree, but, you know, a guy like Trevor Bauer, he's in his walk years, you know, obviously Trevor Bauer is a guy who is pretty big on just, like, small small contracts, doesn't really want to be locked down. So, you know, can the Reds convince a guy like Trevor Bauer, like, hey, listen, you want to win, we need you to take a pay cut. And Trevor Bauer being who Trevor Bauer is, I don't think that conversation is going to go over well.
0: No, not at all. Well
1: you know, that, that's something you have to do. Like, you know, you have Michael Lorenzo, He can start. He can relieve, He can do whatever you ask him to do. He can play the field. He can hit whatever it may be. Um, you know, are you willing to lose Trevor Bauer to get two bullpen pieces? You know, something like that. And, and those are the questions you have to pose. And, you know, honestly, if I'm the Cincinnati Reds, maybe losing a starting pitcher to get two relievers isn't the worst thing. Um, they lose Trevor Bauer. They still have Luis Castillo, Sony Gray, um, you know, Michael Lorenzen. Um, you know, they could they could still go out. They could sign someone who's really more of a, a four, number four starter instead of, you know, a number two or, you know, another number one. Because um, right now the Reds already have, You know, in my opinion, I would say two number ones in Gray and and Castillo, and then they have a number two in Bauer. Um, You know, obviously, if you want to be one of the better rotations, you're going to need need multiple number one caliber guys or multiple number two caliber guys. So um, it's just going to be up to to Cincinnati, you know, what they want versus what they need um, to be able to compete and be successful.
0: Mm -hmm. definitely let's move on to the nl west where like a week ago from today my most surprising pick for the nl west would have been the arizona diamondbacks a week ago they were 7 and 11 and they were dwelling towards the bottom half of that division looking like all hope was lost over the past week the bats finally started to pick it up robbie ray and luke weaver have finally found it to find their way a little bit but now the most surprising team has got to be the colorado rockies i believe They're 13-10 and right now, and their offense has been absolutely explosive. I mean, Trevor Story's been really good. Charlie Blackham's been really good. Arenado, who is off to a slow start, has been finally finding his way. Daniel Murphy is looking pretty good right now. And then their rotation is looking absolutely phenomenal. Their rotation's looking like a top three in the league right now. I mean, Kyle Freeland's been looking good. John Gray has been looking good. Herman Marquez has been looking good.
1: Yeah. I mean, so good. I had to pick up Ramon Marquez in in fantasy because I, I I think I had Justin Verlander, and Marcus Stroman who opted out and, and being on the injury list. So you know that that's how good you know the Rockies have been. I uh, I didn't even mention Antonio says Sensatella
0: who went eight shutout innings today. He's been looking fantastic and he's really young.
1: Yeah, I I think with the expanded playoffs. Um, I, I saw today that uh, with the expanded playoffs, expect four NLS teams. If the playoffs were to end, if this regular season were to end today, you would have four NLS teams in the playoffs. Um, for the Rockies and Dodgers, I'm sorry, the Dodgers and Rockies would take the one and two spots, and the Diamondbacks and Padres currently maintain the one and two wild card spots. So, they're the only
0: two NL teams above 500 that aren't leading the division. Aside right. from the aside from the Marlins, but they've got the 17 yet,
1: right? Yeah. You know, so I, you know, that that's really interesting. That you know, the NL West is where the NL West is, and um,
0: you know, we kind of thought this division would be one of the weaker
1: ones. We thought it would be all the Dodgers show, right? But I think the expanded playoffs have have made. Kind of all the divisions a little more competitive because mm-hmm. you know now certain teams are are fighting for well are we going to make the second spot or are we going to make a wild card spot so um that's definitely something to to kind of look at but um yeah definitely definitely expect the Rockies to make the playoffs this year yeah no doubt and we knew going into the
0: year that. The offense would be pretty good. We knew that Arenado was going to be good. We knew Story was going to be good. Blackman was going to be good. And the biggest questions were going to be the, the rotation, because although rotation here and there has shown sparks of looking good, they're still in Colorado, and they'll still do Colorado things. They'll you know, give up eight hits in four innings. Yeah. They'll give up a bunch of runs. But they've really blown all of us away, and they're one of the top rotations in baseball right now. And that's what's that's what might make them be poised for a deeper run than people expect in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, no, I 100% agree with all that.
0: Now, for the, as for the AL, the AL has also been no stranger to some surprises. I mean, look at the beginning of the year, and a lot of the teams that we saw as being bad teams going into the year have looked really good. And the Baltimore Orioles are the prime example of that. Although they lost their last three games, they're still 12 and 11 above 500, and they're in good position for a playoff spot right now. I mean, they, they had gone out, they had swept the Red Sox in the beginning of the year. They went out and they won a game from Washington. They swept the Phillies. They overall are 4 and 2 against the Nationals. And to have all that at this point in the season is. You know, it's impressive. It's not like they're just beating up on some bad teams. They're beating up on the Phillies. They're beating up on the Marlins. Not to call them all bad teams, but you know what I'm saying. To beat up on the Blue Jays, so to speak. They're they're beating the teams that are towards the top of the divisions. Teams that were expected to be the 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 powerhouses.
1: Yeah. Um, the thing I find interesting is that the Orioles are 12 and 10 on the season thus far. They're eight and one on the road, and they're four and nine at home. I think that I guess, absolutely crazy.
0: It's probably because their their bats are there, so they're gonna they're gonna hit regardless of whether or not they're at home. But the biggest issue with them is is their pitching. I mean, their bats they maybe overperform a little bit with Santander, Severino, and uh, Alberto and Ruiz, for example. But mm-hmm. their their pitching has always been a question mark. And in a park like Baltimore, where the ball where, where it's more of a hitter's park than a pitcher's park. The bats are going to be there regardless of whether they're, they're home or away. So it relies furthermore on how their pitching is going to be. So that's kind of where they, they, they start to lose it because if you don't have good pitching, you're going to give up a lot of runs there.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's, in my opinion, what the problem is with the Orioles is, is that they have no pitching and, you know, it's, kind of what we see with the Blue Jays. They, they have no bullpen, and it's so what we see with the Red Sox. They, you know, besides Nathan Evaldi, uh, they, don't, they don't have anyone pitching for them.
0: Yeah, that's a big issue with the Red Sox. Let's not even, like, get started on them. Their offense has also been looking slow. J.D. Martinez has been looking abysmal so far, and their pitching obviously hasn't been able to carry them at all. They're on a nine-game losing streak. No one really looks good on that team, especially on the pitching side of things.
1: If you told me that the Red Sox were going to be 6-17 and through the first 23 games, I would have called you crazy. But here we are. The Red Sox are 6-17 through the first 23 games. They have a 261 winning percentage. They're 10 games behind the Yankees. I, I think it's safe to say the Red Sox aren't going anywhere this season.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really, how do I put this? It's a really disturbing, not, not even disturbing, it's just a disheartening sign to see when you go and you click on their sets and their team leaders and you see Mitch Moreland's name for home runs and RBIs. Yes. Mitch Moreland yeah. is their leader in home runs and RBIs. And yeah, if that's not an omen for things to come, I don't know it is. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Now the, the AL Central has been looking relatively what we expected it to. Um, about a week ago, it wasn't looking that way. When we saw that Detroit was nine and five, they've started to come back to earth. They're nine and twelve now. Um, if you know you took that under bet in, uh, if you made a bet at all and took the under bet, you were kind of sweating yourself a week ago, and now you're kind of looking relatively okay. But The White Sox are a little disappointing right now. And I think we we both think that they're gonna be able to figure it out. is finally starting to figure it out. The offense is finally there. I just I'm still more blown away though by how the Tigers had that start to the year more than anything else.
1: Yeah, I mean the fact that the Tigers, I mean a sixty game season, you know, only being so so far in to the season. Tigers are only five games back. The Royals are only six games back. Um, you know, the fact the White Sox are eight and three on the road. The Indians are eight and five on the road. And the Twins are five and six on the road. but They're 10 and two at home. So I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see some of these matchups where, you know, the White Sox go to Minnesota, the Indians go to Minnesota. Um you know, I'm I'm not sure if they have already if they played each other or whatnot. Um, but you know, like those are those are kind of things because there are no fans. It's going to be interesting to see how you know playing at home and playing away really impacts you know maybe where uh the Twins, Indians, and White Sox are standing by the time the season ends. It will be, and I I don't expect the Twins to.
0: I don't expect the twins to just suddenly turn around and be a bad team. I think they'll still win that division. The Indians and White Sox should also be playoff teams out of that division. I, I should expect the division to be the same way it is right now. All that kind of funny stuff we had going on in the beginning of the year is subsiding and it looks like this is the most normal division so far.
1: Yeah, no, I have to agree with you on, on that part. Um, yeah, th- th- this is pretty much where a lot of people predicted the the AL West to, to look like. Mm-hmm. Now the AL West is
0: looking ca- close to where you'd expect it to be, but you see Oakland on top over Houston, that raises some eyebrows. Houston a week ago was seven and ten. They finally they're on a six game winning streak right now, thirteen and ten, but they're still two and a half games behind Oakland. And then you look. All the way down to 8-16 and 16 is the Los Angeles Angels, and you never would have expected them to be this bad um, at this point in the year. We know the pitching still isn't there to the point where you thought it would be, but Dylan Bundy was finally starting to look good. You thought that maybe he'd start to be able to pick up the team a bit. He was looking like he could be a Cy Young caliber up until today's start. David Fletcher was – having a slow start. Anthony Rendon was having a slow start. So those are the things where you're starting to run into those problems. The bullpen Mm -hmm. hasn't been great either. So those are the problems with the Los Angeles Angels right now. I think they could probably fix them, but it's disheartening to see them at eight and 16, 24 games into the season when we
1: thought they, at this point, would probably be at least 500. I didn't think that the angels were gonna be this bad, but i i don't know i i was i'm thinking the angels are gonna wind up being like a five hundred team on the season um if the pitching can turn it around i mean obviously the bullpen and and even the starters that was still gonna be a huge problem for for the angels um you know the Rangers have won three straight series um so that's impressive. The I didn't Rangers have been out of them. Yeah, the, the Rangers have been hot. So you know, that that's what's putting the Angels in the fourth spot instead of uh being in the third spot. But um yeah, I mean everyone projected the Mariners to be five, so there's not really much there.
0: Although but, with the Mariners,
1: uh sorry to cut you off, but the Mariners have they haven't
0: been great record wise, but Their offense actually looks like they're they're starting to come together a little bit. You see Kyle Lewis has been looking really good. DJ Moore has been looking good. JP Crawford's been having a rough week, but prior to that, he's looked solid. Mm -hmm. So you have these guys, and you've got a few young guys at your core who you could keep and build upon. You could maybe trade someone like Kyle Seager. You could maybe trade even Marco Gonzalez, possibly. You could trade a couple of these guys. Tajon Walker is another guy and start working on this core. Even though the Mariners aren't there right now, they've got young guys who are looking really good in this young season that they could build upon. And hopefully three or four years from now, especially if, you know, Jared Kelenic, God forbid we say his name on this podcast, when he comes up here, this team could be very nasty and their offense is looking like it now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I 100% agree. The Mariners are another team, like the Tigers, the Royals, the Orioles, the Marlins where I, I thought, you know what, 60-game season, just let the prospects play, you know, see what you have in the farm. Maybe you can trade, you know, some of your mid-veteran guys for, for some other veterans, or, you know, maybe you do trade a prospect for a couple of veterans just for, for the rookies to, to learn from. So, um, you know, I, I think the Mariners definitely have something special with some of these young guys. I mean, Just as done, um, Just is done. Um, Justice Sheffield. Uh, yes, yes, Justice Sheffield. Um, I don't know where I was getting Dunn from. Justin um, Dunn's the other guy. N- yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mixed two names. I mean, so we didn't even talk about you know their pitching, um, the the pitching core that they potentially have, but uh, younger
0: guys at least.
1: Right. So you know, I think just just let let those guys come up. You know, give them a shot and and see what you have in the farm system. You know, see see if it was worth it. You know, that's that's kind of how I feel about that stuff. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much more, the like, I don't know who else the Mariners may or may not wind up calling up. But we saw that the Tigers, um, it's officially past midnight. So Casey Mize will be making his MLB debut today, um, which, which is what I love. You know, the Phillies called up Alec Bone. We've seen, you know, the number one and the number three uh first round draft picks of the twenty eighteen MLB draft um be selected and and be called up to the majors. So I, I definitely wanna see more of that. And, you know, the Angels called up Joe Adell. So I, I, I think that AL West, I think that Mariners, Angels, and maybe even the Rangers, um, are gonna wind up probably calling up some more prospects just to just to see what they have in the because. It, um, I don't really think that those three teams are going to be playoff teams this year hmm and even like we, we see the Braves I mean they
0: called up Christian Pache today Pache, po- I don't know how to pronounce his name but they, they called him up today their top outfield and prospect so all yeah. these teams even teams in even teams that are being competitive are calling up their younger guys so it's it is yeah, of course kind of like how LeBron James puts it with the NBA uh the The MLB is is in a good place with all these young guys too because they're they're getting called up now and all this young talent is either already established or in the process of establishing themselves across the entire league. But uh, that just about wraps things up with this whole first third or so of the MLB season wrap-up show. Now we're going to, now that, you know, the whole busy part of my life is, is getting over. We're going to be able to get some more consistent uploads out, whether you're on, Nick. Thank you for being on, by the way. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Whether you're on, whether it's somebody else, I'm going to be getting a lot more consistent content out. And hopefully we'll be variety things up with whether it's baseball, basketball. I have some plans for a couple things on since, you know, we're in the playoffs now, football, college sports, all that will be on the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Subscribe, share with friends, and make sure you leave a review down wherever you listen to your podcasts. This has been the Double Say Sports Podcast.